right, welcome back to the Best First Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Lewa. Born Frank Juarez, my next guest is a retired mixed martial artist, um, and he retired around 2011 after uh, 35 professional fights, which, which comes along with a lot of accomplishments. He's won every major championship in every mixed martial arts organization around the world. Born in Southern California, it was life wasn't always easy, which is probably an understatement. And I know we'll probably get into some of that in our conversation. However, he took advantage of the opportunities given to him uh, to form an incredible career where he won championships everywhere. And now he's really been able to establish uh, a different life where he's able to do a lot of different things here. Uh, currently, he's involved with this charity, Shamrock Way, and he's an executive leadership trainer, an entrepreneur, and an inspiring public speaker. You can find him at frankshamrock.com, or you can learn more about Shamrock Way at shamrockway.org, and you can follow him at Frank Shamrock on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome, Frank Shamrock. Right on. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you doing this. And I, we talked about this a little offline, but you know, I want to tell the audience I'd met uh, Frank Shamrock at the Nashville airport when he was com- coming from a charity event. And and the, what struck me about this interaction was uh, that you know I've met other celebrities and mixed martial artists before, but that he actually stopped and, and took time to really ask me about me and what I was doing in Nashville. And it got to the point where I even started getting a little nervous, and uh, and because I never met anybody famous who took so much time with me, and so I, I really appreciated just your down-to-earth nature despite all the glory that you've received and achieved over your lifetime that that you're you're still a down-to-earth person and really approachable and so I appreciate you for being here I want to start off by if you can just tell the uh, folks who are listening a little bit more about what you're currently doing right now I mentioned Shamrock Way and I mentioned some of the other work you're doing right now but if would you mind sharing a little bit more about that sure yeah I'm very blessed to um, have had such a successful career and and business you know, opportunities that I spend about half my time doing charity work. And that's through our Shamrock Way organization, which was inspired by my adoptive father. And then I also work as a uh, asset manager, brand brand um, strategist and entrepreneur. So I take celebrity brands or, you know, business assets and I help amplify them. And I've just, I've been very successful, been very blessed. And, and I do that, um, uh, usually from the stage, but now the stages have kind of dried up and, and we're in this COVID world. Uh, now I do that through digital mediums. That's great. So tell me, I mean, well, I know we'll probably get a little bit more into your fighting career, but as you stepped away from that career and, and you started to repurpose your life, how did you find your way doing both just the asset management and kind of the brand f- target as well as working in entrepreneurship what really pushed you in that direction? Well, I, you know, I was very successful in fighting. And then, you know, near the end of my fighting career, uh, I had a great, you know, uh, example from mentors. So my mentors were a generation older than me. And I was watching what was happening to them at the end of their careers. And most of them ended up with no money and, you know, their brands weren't defined or secure or, you know, they sort of had, hadn't planned their exit. And uh, so that made me think about my exit and my desire to sort of, you know, what I was going to do next. And I could see my body was diminishing my ability to perform at the level that I wanted to perform at was, you know, sort of eroding, you know, year by year. Uh, so I took a mentor and uh, his name was Robert Denise. We created an entire um, business management, asset management style system 
that he had acquired and learned through his 35 years of uh, engineering and processes. And, and he went through lean management and he went through all these different modules for learning how to uh, manage things. And so for about three and a half years uh, near the end of my career, he became my mentor and he taught me sort of what to do with my brand and the assets that I'd already created, which to be truthful, I had no idea what to do with. And so it was through his mentorship and leadership that I, you know, was able to make my exit. Um, you know, I didn't want to perform and not be my best. And so that was one of the things that I kept consistent with my brand. And then once I was done, you know, it took a few years to heal up and sort of get myself together. Um, but during that time, you know, I managed my assets wisely. I managed my brand. And then um, after a couple of years, you know, I just kind of started going to work on it. And it started with my friends. You know, a lot of my friends were still working or they were still in the space or they, <coughs> excuse me, were also trying to retire, but they didn't have a, you know, an exit strategy. They didn't know what to do with all this, you know, goodwill and value and, and um you know, marketing that they'd created through competing or acting or performing. And so I just started sort of helping my friends out. And then that just grew and grew until now it's my core business. It's, you know, people come to me, companies come to me at the beginning, you know, middle or end of their life cycle that want to make more, grow more, you know, share more, do more. And um, I'm able to help them. That's great. I mean, to me, it sounds like this mentor was really important, uh, Robert. Uh, Devine, um, and, and really supporting on that. So I'm just kind of curious because it sounds like you have a, you've had a couple of people who are like this in your life. What's your thoughts on this idea of identifying mentors? What made you kind of go into that space and the value of having a mentor? Well, it's everything to me. I mean, I, I grew up on the streets. I grew up as a troubled kid. So I knew, you know, what was in school books and I knew what I learned on the streets. And, you know, that was not enough to be successful. That's how I ended up in prison. And that's how I ended up in, in a life of crime. And it was only through people in leadership positions, through mentors, and then accepting that mentorship that I was able to become successful. And the first one was Bob Shamrock. You know, Bob Shamrock at the Shamrock Boys Ranch basically laid out for me, you know, how to be a man, you know, what a father figure was. Um, you know, he took the time to, to teach me. And what he taught me are the still, you know, are still principles that I use today. It's still how I run my life, my family, my relationships. So for me, uh, a mentor is everything. And, you know, we have a um, lifestyle management system and it's basically your plus equals minus. And that is you find your plus, you know, the guy who has what you want, has the info, you know, and you make yourself available. And then your equals is your, you know, your group, your competition, your peers. And then that minus is, you know, someone who needs the information and who's, you know, ready to accept it, basically. And I, I'd had a lot of mentors that I wasn't ready to accept, you know, what they had to teach. But as I've matured, you know, I see the value in every relationship, especially in the mentor relationship, because they know they've done it, they've, they've achieved it. And for anybody, it just takes out so much work. And, you know, the hard part about learning, if you have a good mentor, because they can guide you and give you advice. Sometimes a couple of words is all you need on a problem that would take you years to figure out. Whereas someone who's already accomplished it, it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, do this, that and the other. And, and there you go. I, I really appreciate the uh, plus equals and minus kind of to me, I, I wrote that down as just a really good visual for how you can kind of break down a few different people. And those those folks in that minus area, those folks who maybe are in need, I also really paid attention to your words where you also said they're also ready because people aren't always ready, even if they're in a deficit place and they're not doing as well as they can. 
Um, sometimes, you know, you come across people who you want to support and help, mentor, and and they're just not ready. And I and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you've probably been in that space at some point in your life. Oh yeah. Maybe some <laughs> of those old lessons by <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> maybe to some maybe to some of the stuff that Bob told you when you when you were younger, you know, when he adopted you and, and whether you're observing and learning some of those lessons or whether there are things that he explicitly said to you, you didn't catch right away, but you caught them and you applied them later. And so um, let's talk about that a little bit more. So let's talk about your back background. So you were born in Southern California. Can you just maybe start there and just tell us whatever you'd like to share about your background and upbringing? For sure. Yeah, I was born in Santa Monica, 1972. So I'm I'm now what am I? 35. I wish <laughs> that's uh, my math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Hollywood math. So I was born in this uh, area, but I really grew up in Northern California. My mom, uh, my father left when I was like two, so I grew up without a dad. Grew up without leadership. You know, I was raised on welfare until I was uh, about 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, I threw rocks at a train. And uh, that's actually a felony in the state of California. Mm. And so by the time I was 11, I went to juvenile hall. And so it was the very first time I'd been outside of my home, you know, outside of our community. Um, I lived in a very closed household, you know, a very small family unit. And it was in juvenile hall that I realized and was sort of educated by the street kids that how my home life was going was not right. You know, that I was living in a home of abuse and that the things that were happening to me didn't happen to everybody else. And, you know, I I had a wonderful counselor who would, you know, sit me down with these, you know, mentor sessions. And they went like this, like, hey, if you keep doing what you're doing, they're going to take you out of your home. And I took that as a directive. I thought, oh, this is what I need to do to get out of my home. So I just kept committing crimes until they, you know, I was a ward of the state. They took me out of my home. Um, I met Bob a few years later. And to your point, you know, he gave me all the advice. I never listened. Mm. And I just kept moving forward until I, until I ended up in prison. But it was when I was in prison that I sort of, you know, I, I got to review my life. And two things happened. Um, you know, I really doubled down on my fitness because Bob would always say, build your body, build your mind, build your spirit. And, you know, I had nothing but time to sort of build my mind, body and spirit. And so I went to college in prison. I did all these different things and I lifted weights every single day. But the other thing that was a huge wake up call for me is everybody I hung out with on the streets was in prison. So I'd see them show up and I'd be like, wait a minute. Um, So, you know, what the counselor told me, what Bob told me, all that advice finally sunk in when I realized if I keep doing what I'm doing, this will become my life. And I made a conscious decision at that time. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do something else. And I was, you know, I built up my body. And it just happened to be when I got out, Bob had stood beside me and supported me. And when I got out, this sport was just developing. Mixed martial arts was brand new. It only existed in Japan. And you know, it kind of sat me down and pitched me on, you know, here's a way to capture your life. Here's a way to be successful. And it's just like wrestling. That was his, that was his pitch. <laughs> I was like, oh, it sounds amazing. I love wrestling. Um, and then I committed to it. And probably one of the hardest things I did in my life, because I was not, you know, an aggressive person. I'm not, uh, you know, a tough guy in that way. I'm more of a nerdy guy. But, um, and it was very scary. But it was through, you know, accepting that and saying, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try this regardless of how painful it is and how hard it is and, you know, how challenging it is. And then within, you know, eight months, I was a professional fighting in Japan. And I went from being a convict to a champion within a year, year and a half. And it just began my career. And it literally changed my life, the ability to, um, 
you know, work with people and build teams and have teachers, have mentors, have community. Um, you know, it's been the biggest blessing ever. And then as that developed, I realized that, you know, I was smart and I did retain this information. I did take all the notes. And so within a short period of time, I was a teacher and I started guiding a team and teaching a group and, and that developed my ability to vocalize what I wanted and, you know, communicate really well. And it was through all those little, you know, small actions that I was able to become the champion that I am today. Excellent. So, you know, it's funny that Bob described, uh, Bob Shamrock described the field you're going to go into is like wrestling. wrestling. He, yeah, it's just he, like wrestling. <laughs> yeah, he left out getting punched or kicked. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that stands out to me about that as well is you you were afraid, you were scared, and yet you did it anyway. And so, you know, of course, part of prepping for this interview, I was taking in a lot of the content and I, I seen you speak about fear. And so I would, would wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing what pushed you and what continues to push you through making certain decisions, even if there's that hesitation and maybe some fear comes up for you. Sure. Well, you know, it, it's certainly helpful that I took probably one of the biggest things I was af- you know, afraid of. And that was violence because, you know, when you're a child and you grow up in violence and you grow up in abuse, you you run away from it because you just don't want it anymore. And it becomes part of your DNA. Like you actually, you know, makes you ill. And so, you know, first step was training and sort of facing that. And once I realized literally that no one could kill me, I mean, this was sort of my mindset. uh, And I had that moment in Japan where I thought, you know, oh, my God, this is a day where I'm going to die. Someone has, you know, someone was beating me. and I'd looked at it for what it was, you know, I was like, wow, you know, today I'm going to die. And I was like, wait a minute, nobody can kill me. And, it was, you know, just that small mindset of, you know, not only is this not going to happen, but I'm going to do something about it, you know, just change something inside of me. And it's been that way ever since, you know, I realized uh, even the public speaking, public speaking was my biggest fear, you know, because I knew people look at me a certain way and I'm a champion. I have all these, accolades but inside i'm still that little boy you know that was locked in a closet that had all these you know social issues and emotional problems and you know that went to prison and so for me to get on stage and speak from a place of you know authenticity and honesty you know i have to talk about those things and i have to communicate you know who i really am and so that was always a big fear for me and that's one of the reasons i do public speaking is just accepting that fear for what it is um, and when I did my TED talk, it was really about fear. I mean, we talked about fear and the desire to sort of step through it. And once you step through it, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Someone laughs at you, someone doesn't like you, you know, in my sport, someone kicks your ass, but it, <laughs> yeah. you know, the reality is it doesn't kill you. It literally makes you stronger each and every time that you walk through those, those small fears. And you know, I speak a lot about this at uh, middle schools and schools now, yeah. because there's so much fear just in, the desire to, you know, please people or be socially accepted and, you know, to think differently. Um, And one of the, you know, one of the tools I say is it's like baby steps. If you just take, you know, a half a step forward instead of a step back, you know, that half step sort of puts you in the conversation. And then those who take a step back, you know, the conversation ends. So I I recommend um, everybody make a list of their fears and start attacking them. Because those are the things that are really holding you back in life. Those are the things that are stopping you from saying yes or, 
you know, conversely saying no, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. when you when you understand what they are, and when you understand what they do to you or how they how they um, guide you, then you can start changing that. And a lot of people are just reacting on the fears that they have, and they don't even know why they're saying yes or no, or maybe, or I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's fear, fear is a big one for everybody, especially in this time in society. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I do think um, that the listeners are going to get a lot from that. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was, was thinking about some of the, I actually was just watching the Phil Baroni fight um, right before we got on this because I just, I remember it as being a good fight. And then I remember just watching um, your level of confidence, especially in early round. I think there was a time where you hit him with a combination and made like a, I'm going, you're going to go the to sleep. Move, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I watch a lot of the, some of the current younger fighters who had, had some recent success and they're doing some of that same kind of confidence in the ring, the, the showmanship on, on top of the skills. And, you know, again, when, from the outside, you're looking at that guy and you don't think he's walking into this cage and he feels uncomfortable or he feels afraid because you're walking in there and you're ready to go with somebody who was a really tough competitor, Phil Baroni. But then you fought people like Bass Rudin, Boss Rudin. Um, in a way, it maybe is the person I think you was that the person you were yeah. referring to that you thought you yeah, were yeah. literally going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, here are these these major people. I mean, people, again, who I wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley, uh, even if I had friends with me. So you're sitting there one on one going with these guys. And, and your ability to kind of push through the next level and to be able to perform at such a high level and to also dig deep and say, like, I'm not, the worst case scenario here is not death. I'm going to survive from this and I'm going to learn from it. And so I think what an amazing way if people can make that connection to really any sphere of their life. Just real briefly, um, or however long you want to share it, actually. Um, so as you enter into that first fight, I think the first fight was Boss. Is that the first fight? Yeah, okay. first fight was Boss Root. <laughs> Which is not fun. For folks who are listening to this, you, you, you need to check out Frank Shamrock's highlight reels. Uh, there's some incredible um, clips between him and Boss Root. And then you can go and check out Boss Root too to see what kind of a an athlete he was and, and an animal that he was. But as you kind of go from there until you, through your, your career, um, what made you keep keep going with it? I mean, obviously, you know, you've you got some early wins and you got some early setbacks, and throughout all that, what made you continue to persist through your career all the way until um, until within the last ten years? It was really the study of martial arts. You know, I, I two things happened once I started training and I sort of got through the fear. You know, the physical fear. Uh, first, the first physical first fear was physical. Oh, I'm going to get hurt, and then I realized, wait a minute, I'm not going to get hurt. And so I moved through that one. And the second fear was I'm going to die. And that really held me back for a long time until the ensign fight. And then I was like, you know, I look, I, I call it staring death in the face. You know, I looked at, I looked at it and I was like, well, you're not going to kill me. And that, that was a big one. But, um, you know, for me, it was a study of martial arts because martial arts had given me so much. And then it was such a, it's such a powerful journey because you get instant feedback. Like it's, it's unlike, you know, a test we turn in a week later, you get a grade, um, you learn a technique, you practice it with your friends, you work on it a bunch of times, and then you go put it to work right away. And it's mm -hmm. instant. You either get blasted in the face or <laughs> it doesn't work. And then you're like, wow, that didn't work. And then you examine, hey, was it me? Was it this? Was it that? Or was it the, the technique itself? Um, and so in that way, it's a very intimate, very personal journey. And I could tell throughout the journey that I was also developing as a human being. Mm. You know, my personal relationships were growing. My social connections were growing. Like everything was growing because of this study. And as I mentioned earlier, I became a teacher, 
you know, quite quickly. And it was because I was consuming it and taking a very scholastic approach to it. I was writing down the human body mechanics and, and creating theories that made sense because at the time people didn't really know what was happening. Like they didn't understand the combination of martial arts. And in that way is also very exciting because I was sort of at the forefront of this thing. So the thing I was most passionate about, I was pushing with knowledge and physical you know, exertion. And then, you know, spiritually as a group, we were all growing. So, you know, I, I really stayed in for as long as I could because I saw the value of martial arts and I saw the value of martial arts for so many people around the world. So even though I was fighting and trying to perform to be my best, my true belief was that this had such value that I needed to share it with as many people as possible. And along the way, you know, the sport grew, we got on cable and I just saw these as avenues to sort of share the values of martial arts, mind, body, spirit, develop all these things of your, of your person and your community, and you'll be a better person. And then the world will be a better place. So I had this very, you know, probably altruistic <laughs> pie in the sky view um, of my mission. But, you know, I believed it was going to come true. I knew this would become, you know, a billion dollar sport and I wasn't doing it solely for the money, although the money was nice, I was really doing because I had such passion for what it had done for me that I wanted to share that. And I wanted to give that to as many people as possible. And, you know, there came a time when I had to weigh, like, do I want to be the greatest or the most valuable? Yes. <laughs> do I want to be, you know, the most wow. paid or do I want to be the most impactful? And, you know, um, my only regret was I couldn't learn it fast enough. And the body you know, it didn't last long enough to sort of see it to its, its end. And when I made that decision to retire, it was really because I wanted to be the best that I could be. And my body was like, listen, 16 years, we're, we're tired. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we're done. We need to exit. So, you know, I sat down and my real belief was, if I'm not going to perform my best in this role, and I should take other roles. Mm. And that's how I'll achieve my mission. So, you know, very tough decision to make. And it was a challenging pill to swallow. But best thing I ever did. Because people remember me for what, you know, for the greatness. Not, not as I aged or, you know, they remember as a broadcaster. They remember me as a league owner. They remember me as an activist. And not as a, you know, washed up fighter who, you know, hung on too long. I, I agree with you. That's that's exactly how I look at you. And you know, I, I really appreciate the values piece, your, your clear understanding of mind, body, spirit, taking care of those things and wanting to share that message with the world and even your vision on your website, how it's important that people you know, who want to be to, to be their best, right, to, to be at their best and to have excellence in all things that they do. And I think that no matter if someone doesn't enter into the fighting sphere or, or in the martial arts sphere, the, the, the values are still the same, that they can find some way to incorporate those things into their lives. And that's a it's a very powerful message that could really find its way through a lot of other things. I want to also mention one other thing, and then I have one more question before we get to the big question, um, is, uh, you know, your your ability to teach. 
um, came from, and this is, these are my words, not yours, but this almost um, an obsession, or at least at minimum a curiosity about this sport. You know, your willingness to study it outside of the direct training you're doing yourself, to really understand like why things are working the way they work, why things do not work, to be able to reconstruct it philosophically and almost academically, you know, and, and which allows you and puts you in a position where you could actually teach others. And so I feel like that curiosity piece is so important for for people as they try to figure out what they want to do within their lives is, is are you able to find something that you're actually genuinely curious about? And and what are the multiple places in which you can apply that curiosity? In your case, I'm hearing it in, in fighting, and then now I'm hearing it, of course, in business and in entrepreneurship and philanthropy. And so I think that's just a, 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 a stark or at least a direct connection that I'm hearing from that as well. So I did have a question about, you know, one more question about fighting and then we'll move on. But um, it's this piece where you step in, you know, you, you leave prison and, and, and you have this conversation and you decide to go into this situation. And of course, you have to start from somewhere. Everybody has to start from scratch. And I don't know many people who jump into everything and they're good at everything right away. So my guess is for you, the same, right? You go into this space where you're going to have to learn how to fight. And maybe you've gone to some street brawls, maybe not. But the, the fact is, as a professional fighter, those are, there's levels, right? It's, it's the NFL in high school. It's, it's a big gap. And so for you, stepping in and not being good right away, if that's your case, um, and if that is, correct me if I'm wrong, but if that's the case, from that perspective, what what kind of advice would you give anybody else who's stepping into some new space, whether it's their career, uh, whether it's athletics, anything, where they're not good right away, that will help them continue on because eventually, you do something long enough, my guess is you'll get at least decent at it, if not good. Yeah, if you have passion, you'll be good at something or whatever you're applying yourself to. I was not good. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I started as a white belt like everybody else. And yes. the way uh, our dojo was run, you know, you carry bags, you clean mats, you warm people up, and then you're the guy they beat up so that they can warm up properly. So I started, I started right there. I was a punching bag for months and months. Um, and each night I'd go home and lay in bed and be like, I, I just get beat every day. <laughs> like they're just throwing me around. Um, but everybody starts there to think you're going to jump in and be, you know, a, a leader or have all this knowledge is just silly. Because if you look at the principles of martial arts, even animals in nature, you know, the parents teach them, they're guided, you know, they learn through play, they learn through games, they learn through all these things. And we're the exact same creature. You know, we have mm -hmm. to learn, baby step it. You know, it's those small steps forward. But yeah, I was not good. I was not good at all. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> you know, I was a great athlete and I built my body up. So everyone loved to beat up on me because I, you know, big you and strong. Yeah, they're like, look, I'm beating up on Frank. Um, but I, I also, you know, I was passionate about it. I, I believe that this would, you know, partly because Bob, you know, he said, this is how you find success. Um, so I believe that you know, my efforts would be rewarded. And I knew that every day I trained, I got a little better. Mm. And every day I, you know, exercised, I got a little stronger. And every day I studied, I got a little smarter. And so, you know, it was, it was through attrition, it was through those small steps forward that I just kept, I kept walking. I remember the first day I choked somebody, you know, it was like three months into training. I got a professional yeah. fighter and I was choking him. I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> and then when he tapped, I was like, wow, I oh. actually, I actually did something. But that's, you know, the beauty of martial arts is everybody starts as a white belt. You know, you, you, every technique that you do, you're like, this feels funny. This feels odd. This feels different. This feels weird. And then, you know, a week later, 
you're like, wow, this feels good. And, you know, a month later, you're like, this feels fantastic. And you slowly yeah. grow as a being. We all do that. That's something, you know, that's hard for our youth to understand. Mm. You know, they want to jump in. They want to be the best. They want to do this. They want to do that. You know, they want to have a nice car, like whatever it is. But those things are earned and you have to do the work. And, and they're like, well, why? <laughs> it's like, the truth is, if you don't do the work, then after it's achieved, it'll have no value. So then you'll screw it up anyways. <laughs> you'll yep. you'll organically mess it up because there's no true value in it. So I recommend everybody, you know, whether it's learning a new language, you know, always challenge yourself. Always be learning something for some passion or goal. And my newest thing is I'm trying to learn Spanish because mm. I want to go to Mexico and build houses. Wow. But when I build houses, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's always confusing. <laughs> right. So my, one of my passion is we, we build these homes for families that are, you know, living in poverty. But I want to be able to talk to that family yes. and have a deeper connection than having this translator guy and pass all the information around. So for me, like that's, that would bring value to my life. So in my spare time, I got this, you know, drops app and I'm trying to learn Spanish. Mm. But during that spare time, most people are watching a football game. Uh, watching a baseball game, um, spending time that has no value to them. And so they get to the end of, you know, several years and they're like, wow, I haven't really accomplished all that much. But there's so much time and there's only, you know, when you're younger, there's only so much time to sort of achieve these things. So, you know, that's why I recommend write your fears down, write your goals down, write the roles that you're serving in your life right now, and then really decide what you want to do you know, where you want to end up because it's all in your control. If you're controlling it, if you're just reacting and acting to whatever, you know, external stimuli comes in, then the world's in control of you and the world's mm -hmm. going to send you wherever they want to send you. But we're in total control of, of, of everything we do that comes from our mind, from our body and from our spirit. And when that energy is guided, it not only attracts very positive things, but you end up at those destinations as a fighter, as a teacher, as a mentor, as a speaker, all of those things, you know, were dreams of mine, but they all came true. So I was like, oh, okay, well, here's, let me learn this and let me try to figure this out. And Oh, I got punched in the face. Well, maybe that's not the right way. Let's find out why it's not the right way. Thank you for sharing that. I, and I appreciate that. And again, I think it's a message for anybody at any stage in their lives of, of it's the work that works and, and again, taking your time and building it long-term will help you value and appreciate it and that you do have a lot of control. So we're going to take a small break here and then we're going to get to the big question. Right, as you know, uh, this is the Best Worst Thing podcast, and this is the part of the podcast where we ask our guests about a, a, a time in their life, whether it was personal or professional, where they experienced a setback, challenge, or loss. Um, so they're, they're to describe the what, what was the difficult experience, the how, how did they get through it, and then the what again, which is what did they learn from it that they want listeners to, to learn. And so Frank Shamrock, what's your best worst thing? Uh, best worst. So do I go best and then worst or how does that work? Or even a, a worst thing that ended up being maybe even a, it turned out to end up being a, a good thing. 
Sure. Well, um, probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to stop fighting, you know, just to sort of make that decision. And, you know, it really goes back to that Brony fight you mentioned earlier. You know, people see me, they see my presentation, they see what was going on. They're like, wow, he's so commanding. You know, how can he perform at that level? Well, two weeks before I'd blown my knee out and was in an electric wheelchair. And I went to the doctor and they're like, well, you have no knee tendons, so you can't really hurt it anymore. And they're like, you know, there's no way you can perform. Yeah. And, and so that fight wasn't, you know, to me, it wasn't a physical contest. You know, I, I knew I could beat him. I knew mechanically that I could do this, but spiritually, like I had to make some decisions like, wow, you know, I can barely perform. I can barely walk and I'm still going to go out there. And I went out there because I, I needed to move the sport forward. You know, we had CBS was looking at us we had all these different things. So there was so much purpose in what I was doing. There was so much value in me needing to perform. It's the first time I've ever sat my family down and said, hey, guys, you know, how I win all the time. This one might not look like that. Mm. You know, this one might go a different way. And I need you guys to be prepared because I've never been this damaged. I've never had this much against me. So, um, to, to then go in and perform at the level I did. If you watch the fight, it's, it's amazing. And you can't, you can't even tell mm -mm. that I'm messed up, except for, uh, if you know me, I'm wearing two knee pads. Mm -hmm. And that's only to confuse somebody as to which knee is actually messed up. But, you know, that type of warrior attitude and that type of purpose, um, when that ends, it's so hard. And this is why a lot of guys go back. And this is why a lot of guys don't pivot or even prepare for the future because to look at that ending of something with such purpose is really hard. And so literally the hardest and worst time for me was retiring because I knew I had to retire. You know, I knew that it was in my, you know, it was in my code. Like, you know, I, I have to be the best and do this, but I also knew that I had to give up what was most important to me and what had allowed me to achieve all these different things in my life. And that was a hard, you know, pill to swallow but what was harder was the next few years because the thing that gave me the most purpose in life, I had to move to the side and focus on the things that were then the most important. And luckily I had a young girl, you know, I had a young family and, you know, that time at home made me realize like this was my real purpose. You know, this was just my career, my thing and what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but it was those years of, you know, trying to heal my body and spending time with my daughter and just being in this place of, you know, community and family, um, you know, that that's what made it the best because it enabled me to, to really see what was most valuable in my life. And prior to that, I was always fighting and I was always trying to survive and be successful. Uh, but I found success and I had to give up that thing um, but the, the great value was it's, you know, I got to spend years and years with my daughter when she was a baby and I've got, you know, I got to completely check out from this, you know, very stressful physical lifestyle and just be in this intimate relationship with a child, you know, with my wife, like to have this little family. Um, like it was, you know, best trade off ever, but definitely the most challenging one that I've ever done. And yeah, but what I tell people is I thought giving that up would destroy my life. You know, I thought that would be like, Oh, I'm never going to recover from this. I'm always going to, you know, talk about the old days, yeah. <laughs> but the new days were even better. 
like even better. And to this day, my daughter's now, you know, 12 and a half and we have the, the greatest relationship and, you know, watching her grow and being present in all those moments because I didn't have to go fight. I didn't have to go train. I didn't have to do all of that. Um, definitely the best part of my life so far. That's amazing. You know, I, I always think about people who've had these, you know, various careers. You know, maybe you're a cop and you've been a cop for a lot of years and you retired. And, you know, you, it's hard for people, you know, who attach themselves so much. There's so much of their identity to that thing they did. Or, you know, you're a school teacher or an executive and and you leave that career. And, you know, you know, I, I hear these stories of people who retire from those respective fields and fall apart because, because so much of them themselves is tied up into it that uh, they don't know how to look for the beauty and, and, and that opportunity. And for you, I mean, just the chance to be with your daughter through those really important early years was not only good for her, but it was great for you. I know as a parent that that is such a critical time to be able to spend quality time, bond and connect with your children. It's so important. And so what a fortunate thing. Um, it's also interesting that you said, uh, you know, this 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 world of fighting that took you literally all over the world, right? Took this kid, you know, who was abused and came from an abusive home um, to finding some people who really loved him and cared for him so much and to took him to, you know, such attention from all over the world. I mean, for some people, I would think like, that's it, right? That's where you peak. That's where life gets at its best. So I find it interesting that you're saying that, you know, that that's not the best part of life. That this, this part, this half, this second half has been, I, I, I believe you too. I think that that makes sense to me too. And so those, those two things really stand out for me. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, to your point, like, what are we all looking for? Are we looking to be recognized and like what, famous and like none of that, that has no real value at the end of the day, you know, you should be recognized and famous for something wonderful that you've done or like that, that makes sense. But to just think, Oh, I should, I should feel that way or have that way. No, we're all looking for love. We're all looking for, you know, community. We're all looking for acceptance. We're looking for, you know, unconditional relationships that make us better, you know, as human beings. And that's, really what everyone's looking for and you know that took me years to sort of you know I felt it I I wanted it but it took me years to realize like oh my god I have it you know it's right here in front of me and you know to then lean into that that that's that was the best part like I did you know I do hair you know I do (laughs) I do all kinds of stuff (laughs) yeah because like that you know I can see the impact you know, I know the impact I had in martial arts, and it's going to change millions of people's lives. Mm. But conversely, growing up without a father, growing up in a broken home, you know, having just total strangers help me, you know, imagine then what I can do to my own family and the future generations. Yes. My daughter's going to be amazing. You know, her her love, you know, bucket, like just her, you know, her connection to other people is going to be so much more valuable than mine. And so when we met, I was years into that. Mm. That's part of the reason why I was able to hang out. Oh, yeah, what's going on with you? Like what, you know, to have that social connection, because all the angst and issues and, you know, things that help propel me to success, you know, I'd I'd work through that by then, you know, and then I'm just like, hey, what, you know, how are you doing? (laughs) How are you doing? (laughs) You know, genuinely desiring to connect with people and, you know, seeing the value of that. Just look at, you know, look at where we are. Yeah, well, I, I do appreciate that. You know, when I listen to you talk, I'm like, this guy's, I mean, I know, you, you know, I see you as a smart guy, but I also see you as, you know, philosophically just just really 
clicking and figuring it out, and that sounds wonderful. I kind of want to mention one other thing um, about the fame piece versus what's really important, right? People are chasing fame. They want to get likes on Instagram or or followers on Twitter or, or whatever, and, and I think that's nice and that feels good, but, you know, that's a lot of power that you give to a lot of people that can just take it away based on whatever they want to take it away from. You know, we're all imperfect, and, you know, in this day and age, that could be easily be taken away. But the things you're talking about, which is love and commitment and connection, those are things that you can give. You have full power. And oftentimes we're given that stuff and we get it right back in return 20-fold, 100-fold. So really focusing on the things that you can give, that's what you have the power. Not it, it's not really The power doesn't really come from, you know, again, the fame and adulation. It comes from the things that you can give. And, and I can really sense that with you, and I really appreciate that. Well, you know, thank you so much. For, for taking time to, to meet with me. Again, you're, you're just as kind and as generous as, as the person I met uh, four years ago in that Nashville airport where my knees were shaking, but at least this time <laughs> I feel a lot more comfortable um, <laughs> with our conversation. Um, so, so I meant, what's, the, what's your preferred way? How, do you, how would you like for people to, to stay in contact with you or, or follow you? What's your preferred ways? Uh, you can follow me on all social media, Frank Shamrock, or if you really want to get a hold of me, you can hit me up on my website at frankshamrock.com. And yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not that interested in <laughs> likes and all that other stuff, but <laughs> I do like to share a, a good message. And one of the messages I've been talking about quite a lot these days is um, just kindness because, you know, you really never know what's going on on the other side you know, of someone's conversation, of someone's facade, of, you know, our, our brief meeting, you really never know. And one of the things I learned on the streets <laughs> is never, you know, underestimate, never, you know, force it, never, you know, push yourself because you don't know what's going on. And the reality is I can beat the crap out of 99.999% of people. And uh, one of the things that annoys me the most is people being unkind to one another because I hold all the power. I could just crush everybody. But the truth is that's not going to help anything. I want people to be kind to each other because it feels good and it's the right thing to do. And we should be doing because you never know when you'll run into a Frank Shamrock <laughs> and they'll just destroy you. <laughs> well, I'm just so glad I met the nice Frank Shamrock. <laughs> well, this is awesome. I'm going to stop the recording right there. for listening to the best worst thing podcast i'm your host josh Willewa. music is produced by josh one you can follow him at boom note on instagram and twitter and josh one on spotify our episodes are edited by cool jets audio and vision you can follow them at cool jets av on instagram our marketing is designed by francesca daniels you can find her at frank and kitty 24 on instagram and our overall design is by Inspired Design with Ryan Daniels. You can find them at getinspired.design on Instagram. Thank you for listening to The Best Worst Thing. This one's for the good times and this one's for the bad. This one's for the day that was the best we ever had. This one's for my good friends and this one's for my foes. The ones who get up on your skin.